Welcome to this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. I am Stuart Blythe, a member of the faculty ADC and the Dean of Chapel. Here, you'll get a chance to hear perceptive and powerful sermons which were delivered by staff, faculty, students, alumni and guests as part of our weekly Wednesday Chapel services. I'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, beginning at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. It's really good to be with you guys. Uh, I'm on the west coast of the country, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples, uh, where I am an uninvited guest and a settler who is learning to be an immigrant in this place. And my prayer is that we will be better neighbors, me here in Coast Salish territory, and you there in Mi'kma'ki for having been together uh, in this time. Red Clover Initiatives is uh, is a movement to catalyze justice and healing between Indigenous peoples and the church across Canada. And we're now working in partnership uh, with CBM across the country uh, to have those conversations. We've been doing so uh, in Western Canada for the last seven years, uh, but that work has recently extended. And what I want to talk to you today about is connected to that work um, and is a, a growing concern of mine. Um, before we launch into that, though, let me just say I wanted part of why I wanted to be there in person is because I'm interested in dialogue more than monologue. Uh, so my apologies for the monologue today, but I would love to be in conversation with you uh, about these things or about things related to Red Clover. Uh, and the easiest way to get in touch with me is redclover.ca, uh, the website where you can uh, get my email. Can we start uh, with an imaginative exercise together? You can either close your eyes uh, or look at the images on the screen. Zuby, if you would be able to share that first image, uh, please. So with either your eyes closed or looking at the images, I wonder what repair smells like to you. What does repair 
smell like? What does it sound like? I hear the crackle of an evening fire. Wonderful world of Disney on the TV, which might put me in a certain uh, era. The gentle click of needle against light bulb as my mom darned socks in the evenings. Or the clank of tools dropped to the concrete floor. Grunts of exertion trying to force a tight bolt loose. Repair smells like grease or that funny ozone smell from uh, a soldering gun or sawdust or maybe the smell of tea to ease a challenging conversation. I want to invite you to take those smells, those sounds, and maybe even uh, those images that came to mind when you thought of repair because I think that they're really useful in the job that we have before us as a church, particularly as church leaders. So you can uh, stop sharing that image for now. Today, I want to talk together about equipping the church to be people of repair. Now this practice of repair and the story of Zacchaeus and an art form called Kintsugi, these are gonna be our guides. Uh, hopefully companions for us in the work, even as we leave this time. I don't need to tell you that we live in challenging and fractured times. We've prayed about some of those things earlier in the service. The world is in deep need of repair. The church is in deep need of repair. And we ourselves are in need of repair. There are fissures that run through every aspect of our lives and our world. And we ask, what resources do we have that are available to meet the depth and the complexity of the repair that's required? Theologically, what do we have to offer? And does what we have to offer touch the places of real and penetrating pain? So it's hard to read on Zoom, but hopefully some of you are jumping out of your seats saying, reconciliation, this is a theological tool that we have at hand. What better, right? God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Christ is in us doing the very same thing, 2 Corinthians 5. But my concern is that we have not understood reconciliation fully. It's become a theological abstraction and that sometimes it's even become a weapon rather than a healing balm. I think that we see reconciliation as fixing, and I want to contrast fixing with repairing. We ask, how can we fix it? How can we move on from past sins that we have inherited? How do we get off the hook? How do we get to the forgiveness part? and move on to being friends? Those are good and valid questions, but they can get in the way of actual repair. Fixing is something that restores a thing to a state where I can no longer see that it was broken. And if it breaks again, my justified reaction uh, is frustration and anger, right? Didn't I pay to get this thing fixed? But I wanna propose that repair 
can help us understand reconciliation in some really vital ways that have gotten lost. Repair is dirty and messy. In repair, sometimes you end up with extra parts and you have to start all over again, not to speak from personal experience or anything there. Uh, sometimes you find something that was broken, but that wasn't the root issue. So you go back again. Repair is trial and error. It's deepening our understanding along the way. It's less about being an expert and more about attending to the broken thing. Learning what works, what doesn't work, what can be salvaged, and what has to be replaced. Repair is about leaning in and looking close. In fact, I want to talk about a particular type of repair that I mentioned called kintsugi, which I think has a, a whole lot to teach us about the repair required in the historical moment we find ourselves in. But first, let's turn to the text for today, the story of Zacchaeus. Now, I think Zacchaeus doesn't get enough attention. He gets uh, relegated to children's Sunday school lessons and then forgotten about. But I think there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens in this story that we need to, to wrestle with and, um, and dig more deeply into. I could preach whole sermons on the ways that we've utterly missed the point and how we could read how we read and teach Zacchaeus. But I'll summarize by pointing out that the, the top 100 sermon central sermons uh, on Zacchaeus, of those, all but one is about hospitality. I don't think hospitality is the point of this story. When we arrive at Zacchaeus's home, it isn't the climax. In fact, that's just where the good stuff is getting started. So I don't really need to review with you uh, the backstory of Zacchaeus, but we'll do it for fun anyway. Uh, the story tells us two things about Zacchaeus, that he was a tax collector and that he was short, or maybe Jesus was short. Uh, it's not clear in the text, but those, those two descriptors, somebody was short, which prevented them from being able to see, and Zacchaeus was a tax collector. <laughs> Those descriptors tell us more than we might notice at first glance. For those of us who have been around the church for a while, we know that tax collectors are not simply hated because the tax man is always hated, but that his role put Zacchaeus in alliance with the oppressive colonizing forces. And that alliance makes Zacchaeus a very rich man. And it causes him to be seen as a traitor to his people and utterly untrustworthy. So this is what makes height an issue. Zacchaeus knows he can't depend on the goodwill of the crowd to make way for him to be at the front of the crowd. So he devises the strategy of spying out a good tree and climbing. So we have Zacchaeus up in the tree and Jesus invites himself over to dinner in order to get Zacchaeus out of the tree. They go, they have dinner, but this isn't just Zacchaeus and Jesus having some tuna salad that Zacchaeus pulled out of the back of the cupboard. This is Jesus and Zacchaeus and probably a fair portion of the crowd piled into Zacchaeus's very large domus where Zacchaeus certainly didn't make dinner, um, but where the help did. And included in this crowd were the religious leaders and the zealots to whom Jesus's comments are pointed in verse nine. 
And here in verse 9 is where we get the punchline to this story. Jesus declares, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now in that very simple statement, Jesus enacts the parable of the lost son in this declaration, right? He also proclaims that salvation has come to this house. This is not something Jesus goes around doing and saying all the time. He also says that what's happening here is the fulfillment of Jesus's whole ministry purpose. His purpose was to seek and to save the lost, and that's happened here. That punchline, that audacious declaration, I believe, is meant to send us scrambling back into the story to find that moment where salvation arrived. Now, we find that moment uh, not too far back, just in, in verse 8. Amidst the muttering of the neighbors and the controversy regarding holiness code and the questions raised about Jesus's trustworthiness and if he would allow himself to be sullied by his associations with this sinner, how that disqualified him and damned him among the religious community. And then in another corner, conversation about this traitor and Jesus's association with him, which damns him among the zealots who are awaiting his messianic deliverance and the overthrow of this oppressive state. So in the midst of all of these fissures and political divisions, dividing lines, Zacchaeus stands up and makes a public proclamation in which he promises half of his wealth to the poor and makes a public commitment to pay back any he's cheated four times the amount that he cheated them. One tiny verse, so much packed in here that gives us a picture of the action of repair that has been missing from much of our talk about reconciliation. Zacchaeus knows that what he has done is wrong. He acknowledges that. And he recognizes the need to repair the harm, not just spiritually, but literally. Half to the poor, four times to those he's wronged. Repair is related to the word reparations. And Zacchaeus pays or commits to paying reparations. Now, Zacchaeus doesn't just get this idea of paying reparations out of his own head, right? The principle comes out of Hebrew Bible mandates for setting right a wrong. We have fallen out of the habit of reflecting on reparation as a part of our usual practice. In fact, there's some very interesting uh, research about theological reflection and ethics uh, and the amount of talk about reparations prior to the 1600s it suddenly starts to disappear as uh, colonization seems to grow, force, grow in force and be joined uh, to the church. Interesting to reflect on that a bit. Back to Zacchaeus. It wasn't just about repaying those that he, he had cheated, right? The four times uh, to those who he cheated. But it's also in this payment to the poor, uh, this recognition that he's participated in a system of inequalities that has hurt the community at large and that there's need to repair that damage as well. So reconciliation is not just about restoring our broken relationships with God. 
salvation also. It's not just about restoring our broken relationship with God, also about restoring our broken relationships with the community and with one another. Much more to be said about reparations. I want to just seed it in the conversation because I long for the church uh, in Canada to be having a robust conversation about reparation. In fact, uh, I'm writing a book on land back reparations for the church uh, right now. And I say that not as a shameless plug, but more as an accountability to make sure I actually get this thing done. Um, but as Zacchaeus encounters Jesus, he experiences Jesus's loving forgiveness moving towards him, releasing him from his shame and restoring him back into relationship. So of course, then Zacchaeus follows where Jesus has moved ahead of him and he's able to see his sin and the damage that's created around him. And then he moves into restoring relationships as Jesus's love is at work in Zacchaeus made manifest through just actions further healing the social fabric that his previous actions had damaged. There's more we could learn from Zacchaeus. But let's take him as a model of repair, not repair that he does perfectly, right? Not repair that erases all the harms, not repair in Zacchaeus's case that removes poverty in his community, but repair as love made manifest in just action. If we had more of that in more pockets, what healing might come? As we close, uh, I want to turn to this Japanese practice of repair, an art form uh, called kintsugi. You may be familiar with it. Um, Zubi, if you could please share that second slide. Kintsugi kin means gold. Tsugi means to mend. So kintsugi is literally mending with gold. But this mending is not meant to erase the breakage, right? Which is what's really interesting about it. It's not to restore the item to a like new condition. Instead, it tells the story of the break and transforms it. And even though items might be hundreds of years old, they don't become museum pieces to be looked at, right? The idea is that they are returned to service, that they are made usable again, but now even more beautiful, even more precious. This comes out of the, the tea ceremony, um, which is an important part of Japanese culture. And, uh, and that, that sense of being able to tell these long stories through restoring um, items, returning them to use uh, as part of that tea ceremony um, also speaks to a, to a broader social dynamic that's happening um, in the midst as, as Kintsugi happens. Friends, we live in broken times and the fissures run deep. And some of those fissures even reach back to before any of us were even born. But I want to leave you with a blessing. I want to leave you with, uh, with an invitation, a benediction. 
and it's from a commencement speech given by a Kintsugi artist and theologian, Makoto Fujimura. He gave this in 2019. And he said that this generation is being called to be a Kintsugi generation, a generation of mending. And before I read his words, just let me say that, that I struggle with the idea of the church being the mender of broken things because it feels like we break a lot more than we mend sometimes. But at the same time, I do believe that God longs to use the church to bring mending in the world and mending with gold. But I think that we pour into this work of mending. So, so uh, Fujimura is going to talk about pouring gold into these fissures. I think we pour into this work of mending imperfect materials, right? Zacchaeus poured dirty money in. We pour in small and often insignificant offerings. And then I believe that God does some crazy alchemy and transforms our imperfect materials into pure gold. Hear these words of Makoto Fujimura. Receive it as benediction and blessing over your own lives in this moment. Your generation will mend and pour gold into the fissures of our broken times. And you can not only mend, you can create a new, create a world in which an invitation will be given to those who are broken. Those who mourn, those who are persecuted, and those who are poor in spirit will be offered a great light. Your lives can be an offering of peace in a divided time, a gesture of hope for those in despair. And know that your wounds may be the entry point. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel Podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.
Thank you for joining us in this Acadia Divinity College Chapel podcast. You can follow us on social media. Discover more on our website at acadiadiv.ca or join us for chapel on a Wednesday.